The Lord has definitely some things that he wants to say. Indeed, the part of the topic is just what is God doing now? And also, what is uh, your role in it? Um, born in Jamaica, grew up in Toronto, Canada, which is why I speak English like I do. However, people in Toronto these days think I come from Eastern Europe, and I'm realizing that it's been a lot of years of hearing Dutch English in Amsterdam. So if my grammar sounds a little bit interesting, just smile, okay? Just smile. Before I start, I'm just going to do something that I've uh, been noticing. I don't know about you, but I can feel the ground moving. I could feel it moving even during worship this evening. And so, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we just speak to the ground. Lord, the ground that this church is built upon, Father, the ground of this city now in Jesus' name. In ground, we say we bless you, but ground, we also say we command you now to open up, to receive not just my words, but every word of the Lord that is being spoken out in each assembly, each part of the body of Christ now that is coming from the Spirit of God. Open up in Jesus' name. Father, thank you, Lord God, that the seeds that you're planting right now, God, they found good soil. Good soil. The Lord is saying over Bath and over the surrounding regions, this is good soil. And I just see indeed um, a number of things. And, and just to con some of them are confirming, one or two of them might be new, but the Lord is saying there is a healing anointing on this city. There is a healing anointing. It wasn't uh, just for by accident or whatever that Tim was speaking out, you know, just medical innovation, medical innovation. The Lord is saying this city is called to bring healing to the nation and to the nations of the world. And many, many, many are going to come here. Father, I bless the hospitals in this city. I bless now the research institutions because God is saying this is a day and an age of innovation in the field of medicine. It is a day and an age of innovation in the field of medical technology. And one of the things I'm seeing is indeed there's going to be a closer collaboration with a number of hospitals in Bath, especially teaching hospitals and Israel. That's going to be interesting to see how the Lord gets that one done. But he keeps saying there's going to be a collaboration on that end. There's also a real strong anointing on the city indeed for, well, physical healing, but also inner healing. And with regards to this church, indeed, the Lord is saying this body, this expression of his body in this place, St. Matt's, the Lord is uh, indeed he's saying you are bringers of solutions. You are a holistic body. And God is just showing me that in the years to come, in the coming years, and it won't take too long before that starts to happen, government officials will start to travel here to ask, you know, just to say, I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do, but we've heard you have solutions. We've heard you know the God who has solutions. And I just see at a certain part, a uh, certain point in time, it's just, yeah, prophecy is already becoming normal in this body. It will become even more normal. You're going to be start to be known as a place where people come because they need revelation from the Lord. And that's going to be national, and it's already starting. I can hear the voices. I can hear the voices. The Lord is sending out just a whisper about you. This is a place where those who come 
those who come will receive revelation from the Lord as to what to do and as to how to do it. And, and it's also going to be a place, the Lord says, where people are going to come in and someone's going to say, yeah, you, you know, you can be confronted by a prophet at any moment, but they'll be well-behaved prophets. They'll be well-behaved prophets. The Lord is saying, you're going to know how to behave in each and every single situation. And so I bless this body. I bless each one associated with it. I see also you're going to be networking and linking. God is busy building a net. And the upper room is part of it, but also this church is part of it because the Lord is saying he's going to cause you to think broadly. It's not a tunnel vision sort of situation. And you will be establishing networks of relationships across the nation and across borders. And I bless you in that because the Lord is saying it's time for the harvest, but it's also time for the manifestation of his kingdom rule on the nations of the earth. So let us bless you all in Jesus' name. And for those working on your PhD, PhDs do eventually end. And, and so uh, for those of you who are stuck, or at least it seems like your research is uh, going to take forever, I just say there's an acceleration coming. Whoa. Speak out acceleration for every research project now in this body in Jesus' name. I am going to honor the time. That is a statement of faith. So I'm going to take off my watch and every once in a while try and look at it. One of the things that I am is prophetic. And that's not a proud statement, it's, it's just a fact. And God um, speaks, or at least every year I try and wait on the Lord for, Lord, what are you trying to say to your body this year? I'm not the only one who does it, many prophets do it, but uh, yeah, in November that's kind of D-Day, because that's when a number of us travel to Dallas, Texas, and I'm part of a body called the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders, so global prophetic roundtable. And so you need to come with a prophetic word. You have to come with a prophetic word. And this year, as I started to wait on the Lord, I got nothing, totally silent. One week went by, two weeks went by. I said, Lord, I'm here, speak. I'm over here, Lord. Nothing. A week before Dallas, I was starting to get more than a little bit nervous. I was saying, Lord supposed to be a prophet. I'm going to meet with global prophets. I have nothing. Speak, please. Two days before Dallas, I was begging the Lord, would you say something? And that's when he started to speak. But one of the things that I noticed, actually, in that process for my receiving a word this year, is that the word last year was new really means new. However, what I hadn't counted on was the fact that everything is new. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Eyes to see, ears to hear. What God's Spirit is saying. Because if you look at the news, you see bad news. However, the Lord's Spirit is saying this is going to be one of the best times in the history of the planet for the church. Of Jesus Christ. You look at the news, one message. God, a totally different message. 
But in order to start to step into that, the Lord's saying, we're going to have to start to learn to hear him in totally new ways. See him in totally new ways. One of, one of the reasons why I was struggling was because he wasn't speaking to me like he always has. I was listening for his voice. And in the end, what he did was he implanted something into my spirit that I had to struggle. I couldn't even translate the words. I just had to write down what I was tr and try and describe what I was seeing in my spirit. And in the end, what I got shocked me. I'm going to keep you in suspense a little, all right? But the Lord is speaking in a different way. And some of us who are used to hearing the voice of the Lord, and even if you're not, we're going to have to attune our ear differently. Because he's speaking in another frequency right now. Why? Because new means new. And I kept getting the scripture about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they had been with Jesus every day for three years. They, they went to the toilet with him. They knew him. They knew him. They knew what he looked like. And yet, after Jesus rose from the dead, there was a before and an after. It was a separation. It was a new epoch. That's what we have entered. This is not just business as usual. We are in a new era doesn't even begin to sum up what we've entered into right now. It's a new epoch. There is a before, last year, last week even, and an after. And that's what we're in now. And the disciples didn't realize what a monumental shift they had been in. And so as a result, they were walking on the road on the way to Emmaus, and they were grieving. And a stranger comes up, and he said, what are you talking about? And they said, are you the only one in Israel who hasn't heard what's happened? And then they started to tell them about Jesus, that they thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the one they had, you know, that he was the one. And yet he had been crucified and died, had no idea that the Messiah himself was walking beside them. And when they got to the place that they were going, they invited Jesus to come in and to eat with them, and he did, and then he disappeared in front of the eyes. And they were stunned, they were shocked. But one of the things they said keeps sticking with me, and it's something for myself, but it's something for all of us in this season. They said, remember his voice, how it burned within us. The Lord is saying to me, he's going to manifest himself in ways to us that if we just look with our eyes, we're going to miss it. We've got to know his voice because this is different. And I'm not talking about the second coming of Christ. Christ will come again, but until he does, we've got work to do. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. In Matthew 10, verses 1 to 3. Matthew 10, verses 1 through 3. Said, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, that's Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, 
When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. That was what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I used to think, you know, the Pharisees, well, Sadducees, we knew, they didn't believe in life after death and all the rest of that. They were already out of it. But I thought, you know, the Pharisees, they're the super religious ones, etc. But did you know that the Pharisees were the ones who believed in the supernatural in Jesus's time? They were religious, but they believed in the supernatural. They even saw people healed. I don't know in whose name, but they did see people healed. They were the ones who knew the scriptures and who were operating in a level of the supernatural. And Jesus said, you know how to interpret the weather. But when the one who was the answer, the one who was the one that they had been waiting for, for millennia had come, they did not recognize him. They were looking one way, and Jesus came another way. It's the same kind of thing we're in. Once again, when Jesus was born, there was a before and there was an after. And they were looking through one pair of lenses, and Jesus came a different way. And because he did not come the way they expected, they rejected him. And so that's why Jesus reserved his sharpest criticism to, for them. My prayer, even for myself in this time, is, Lord, help me to be able to recognize your voice, even when it looks different than what I expect. History is reaching a critical mass, and we've got to be able to recognize him. Scriptures have good news, however. There was a tribe in the children of Israel that did recognize the signs and the times. And that was the tribe of Issachar. So we're going to take a little bit of a look at Issachar because I'm noticing that one of the mandates that God has given me in this season is to raise up people who know what the season is and who know what to do. Issachar prophets. If you don't think you're prophetic, the Lord is saying the fact that you're in this room means that you qualify right now, okay? This is called a divine setup, by the way, for you tonight. But First Chronicles 12, verse 32, indeed, from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs with all the relatives under their command. Men who understood the times, who knew when the time had shifted. Issachar had a good track record. For example, in the time between King Saul and King David, when David was anointed by Samuel the prophet as king, most of Israel hadn't got a clue. Life continued on. Why? Because between the moment that David was anointed and the time he actually became king, it was between 13 and 17 years later. But the tribe of Issachar knew something had shifted. 
they were able to pick that up by the Spirit of God. Something had shifted. And slowly but surely, they switched their allegiance from Saul to David, even though Saul was still king. They were willing to risk treason because they knew the time had shifted. History points to a number of different times. The time between Elijah ending his ministry and Elisha, his successor, picking it up, a shift, a huge shift. Interestingly enough, Elijah, full-time prophet of the Lord, as we would see, who did he give his mantle to? Elisha, somebody in the marketplace. Elisha was a farmer and a wealthy one at that. But God called him. There was a shift. There are different moments in the scriptures where things shift. We're in one of those moments. Last one I'm going to just mention quickly. The shift between John the Baptist and Jesus being revealed. John the Baptist was called by God. His disciples, the disciples of John, knew this was a man sent by God. Even Jesus and the scriptures say, in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's huge. Whew. And yet, when the thing shifted from John to Jesus, only two of John's disciples went and followed Jesus, Andrew and Peter. Only two. John had many more disciples than that, but only two recognized that there had been a shift. Things had changed. And so as a result, I think you've got the idea now, things have changed. We are in a shift. I'm going to talk a little bit about his car. Genesis 49, verse 14 and 15. Genesis 49, 14 and 15. And that's an interesting thing about Issachar because, uh, yeah, it's uh, not a very flattering description on first, uh, in the first instance, but there's a lot going on here. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among the sheep pens when he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Look at that and you think, huh? <laughs> Somebody prophesied that over me, I would think. Not so sure if I like that. Can I have another word? But let's look at it, all right? Issachar. Issachar was being prophesied over by his father. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down among the sheep pens. Interesting, a donkey is a work animal, definitely a work animal. And that sheep pen thing, donkeys can be, they are very, very stubborn. I come from a nation, our color is orange. If you're into football, you know the Dutch, we go out in orange. Orange, a color that means stubbornness. That's a good color for the Netherlands. That's a really, really good color for us. Anyway, donkeys can be stubborn animals. However, when they are 
trained. And when I say trained, when their hearts get attached, when they get attached to a particular person or owner, they will risk their lives for that person. And so in the Bible times, sometimes people used donkeys to guard the sheep. Why? Because the donkey would risk his life for the sheep of the person who their heart had become attached to. And yeah, they did. Often the donkeys would have been killed, but they would try and trample the wolves with their hooves. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant his land, look at that one. When the children of Israel entered the promised land, the tribe of Issachar got a very, very fruitful and fertile plot of land. Very, very fruitful. This is a prophetic word, and it's referring to something that ain't going to happen for more than 400 years. But when he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. What does this have to do with being a prophet that knows the times and knows what to do? What it's saying is actually the role and the position of prophets is changing. It's changing a little bit in this season. There will always be the prophets that shout out, you know, about injustice. That's not going to go away or whatever. But to be on the cutting edge of what God is doing right now, we're going to have to realize the following. And this is what it's talking about. I'm using an allegory now. Imagine, and I'm not talking substitution theology, all right? Not doing that. but it's just an allegory. Children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, the wilderness had nothing for them. And so God provided manna from heaven, miraculously. Every morning, they got out of bed, opened the door of their tent, the manna was there. And when they started to complain about lack of meat, God gave them pheasants until they couldn't stand to see another pheasant. All right? And so as a result, the Lord provided miraculously. However, when they left the wilderness and went into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the manna stopped. The manna stopped. And that was when they had to start to plant crops and to work the ground, and to farm their fields. We're in a time right now where, believe it or not, in spite of what it looks like, the Lord is saying, we have allegorically entered our promised land. The Lord is saying, this is your season. The Lord is saying, as an individual, this is your season. The Lord is saying as a church of Jesus Christ, this is our season. Why? Because light shines best in dark times. What do you need to disrupt, or at least just disrupt the darkness? Seriously, just turn on the light. God is saying this is a VUCA age. Some of you know that term. VUCA, V, volatile. U, uncertain. C, confusing and a ambiguous meaning nobody knows what's going on in the natural 
But in spite of all of that, the Lord is saying, Church of Jesus Christ, this is our time. This is our time. But we need God's eyes to be able to see this. We need his ears to be able to hear this. Psalm 22, verse 28. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nation when? Not just when Jesus comes back. The kingdom is the Lord's now. He rules over the nation now. That's what Jesus is saying. There is a now and a not yet, but the Lord is saying his glory is being revealed in the nations now. And so, irregardless of what you're hearing on the news, God is saying there is another narrative going on. And it's his narrative, and it's his narrative across the nations. I live in Amsterdam that had past tense, a bad reputation. God is changing my city. I cannot afford to live in the past. The Lord said to my husband and I, years ago when we started the church, when the red light district falls, that's when the Netherlands and Europe continent is going to fall for him. This past November, the mayor of Amsterdam started to talk about closing down the red light district of Amsterdam. It has existed for 700 years. The Lord rules the nations now. The kingdom is the Lord's now. Also in Bath, he rules Bath now, and his kingdom is here and ready to manifest now in Bath. He's just looking for a people that has faith to be able to follow him when he says go. And you know what? Life, I used to spend a lot of time thinking, making things really complicated. But the older you get, the hope, actually, the older I get, the more I realize I don't have the energy to complicate things anymore. <laughs> so as a result, my prime thing, I've got my PhD in chemistry, I survived the PhD. Yes, you can survive PhDs. But for me, my prime thing right now is just, Lord, what are you saying? Listen to the Lord and do what he says. You don't have to do everything, but please do what he says. And yes, you will feel frightened most of the time, but if we do what he says and trust him for the results, he can, we can see amazing things happen and his name glorified. And so, the sons of Issachar. Yeah, I like that. Dominion belongs to the Lord now. He rules over the nations now. People used to call my city Sin City. Not anymore. Why? Because his dominion is over Amsterdam now. His dominion is over Bath now. Now. And all he needs is somebody in whom Christ dwells to be willing to take him at his word. I grew up Baptist. I'm so thankful for scriptural knowledge, but there is a saying that's always stayed with me, and that is that the world has yet to see what God can do with one man or woman who's totally sold out to him. I want to be that woman. I hope you want to be that man or woman. 
because he's not looking at what we cannot do. He's looking at what he can do through us if we just give him a chance. And so this is a time for the kingdom looking different than we had thought. And so I'm going to introduce a new term, and then I'm just going to say one or two things. We know about the priesthood of all believers. That's a concept that many of us know. You know, that Jesus said, you know, he's made us a kingdom of priests. I like the New Passion Translation because it does not, I'm realizing more and more that kingdom of priests, we separate kings and priests, realizing that's the dualistic Greek mindset again. And the Passion Translation says king hyphen priest. We are both kings and priests. Now, every day the Lord keeps reminding me how religious I am. Every time I think, okay, Lord, religion is, I don't like religion. It's gone. He keeps reminding me how religious I can be. But you know what? There's a battle going on right now about that whole concept of being kings. We're, we're comfortable with the idea of being priests. You know, because priest is humble. Priest uh, intercedes to God for the people around them. But a king, we don't like that. We really don't like that. We're not comfortable with that. Why? Because we haven't been, this is a new, this is a concept that's not new, but we've lost sight of it. We are king priests. God says, I've given you authority to see things move, to see mountains move, to see things shift for his honor and for his glory. So, what does that look like in practice? For those of you who are students, I told you I got a PhD in chemistry. God's been doing stuff in economics, and next week, Monday, not tomorrow, but in a week's time, I have to stand and uh, accept the position of a director of a center for new economics in the top business school in the Netherlands. I don't know what I'm doing. I am not an economist, and I am not a business person. But God needed somebody who was crazy enough just to say, I'm available. So what did I do with all the economic stuff? I don't have the background. And after all, I got desperate, and I said, Lord, you called, so I need your help badly. So literally, I laid my hands on my head. And I just said, Lord, you said I have the mind of Christ. You can do that also if you're struggling in your studies. Father, you said I have the mind of Christ, so I'm going to take you at your word. I have the mind of Christ. Help me to understand this. And I had to read a 600-page book about economics. And I tried literally seven times before. It didn't get past the first page. Nothing was making sense. It was a book by a guy named Thomas Piketty, capital in the 21st century. Nothing made sense. After I laid my hands on my head a couple of times and said, I have the mind of Christ and started to proclaim it, all of a sudden it started to make sense. I could understand the book and it wasn't that bad either. This is the time for divine levels of wisdom and knowledge. This really, really is. What does that look like? I'm going to 
and then I'm going to minister. What does that look like in practice? Once again, indeed, we have the mind of Christ. What does it look like? It looks like the following. Whether or not you think you are intelligent, intelligence has nothing to do with it now. Why am I saying that? Because the challenges that our societies are facing, whether you're young or old, I am, yeah, every day I'm reminded that I'm not 25 anymore. Ha. I see the gray hairs coming in, and I'm proclaiming thou shalt not get gray. <laughs> that is a fleshly proclamation, I admit, but it seems to be having some kind of effect. <clears throat> anyway, but what does it look like? It looks like the following. Our world is in crisis, but heaven is not. The United Kingdom, you are now post-Brexit. There was a before and there was an after. And even though the politicians may not know always what's going on, God does. God does. And this nation, and the, well, the United Kingdom, the nations of the United Kingdom, they need people who are willing just to stand up and say, you know what, I don't have the wisdom, but I know one who does. Because I guarantee you, if you pray, and if you ask the Lord, he will give solutions to help pave the way for Brexit, post-Brexit. And we from Europe will bless you as you do. Okay? Everybody with me? The level of the challenge is too great now to rely on human wisdom and understanding. It's too complex. And that's why I'm saying, this is a time for the church. This is a time for the church, because we know we can't do it, but we know the one who can. And so as a result, it's a time to figure out what is the mandate of this church. I've prophesied that a bit. Lord, you're already into social action. I've prophesied so often over this church, and so you're doing exactly what you need to do. But there's a mandate for the church, but God has a mandate for you. And it is super important that you discover what he has for you. doesn't matter what kind of uh, tradition of faith you've come out of. As I said, I grew up in a, in a tradition that said God doesn't speak personally anymore. We have the Bible. And so we don't need anything else. Nothing will replace this. I have great respect for the written word of God, okay? Not dissing it at all. God's saying heaven and earth will pass away before one little part of his word passes away. But what does he want you to do? Which nation does he want you to live in? What company does he want you to work for? Does he want you to go into ministry full-time? We're all in full-time ministry, but in the conventional way or what? We have to know what the Spirit of God is saying to us. As I promise you, once you plug in, to what he wants for you, then you start to live with a capital L. That's when life starts to become exciting. All right? And you can do spiritual gift stuff. I hope that each one of you is praying regularly because that's where it starts. God promises if we pray, if we seek him with sincerity, that's when he will answer. After I finished my PhD in chemistry, I needed to know 
what God had for me. I was planning to live in Toronto, get a dog, buy an apartment on the lake. That was my good plan. It seemed really good to me. And as I prayed, and as I read my Bible each day and prayed, all of a sudden God started to speak. Back then I didn't know what the voice of the Lord sounded like. And so as a result, I just said, God, speak, which was actually a bit counterintuitive to the theology I'd been taught at that time. But he started to speak to me out of Hebrews chapter 10. And every day for that last year of my PhD, he kept saying to me, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. I had my plan. My plan was a good plan. I was fully committed to my plan. And I was going to be a good church member in somebody else's church. It sounded good, but God started to speak. And after a while, even I got the message, maybe it wasn't his plan. And so, all right, after I figured out that, I'm not that fast sometimes. After I figured that out, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then I started to get an inkling in my heart that he may not want me to stay in Canada. And when I started to pray and say, Lord, is it this? All of a sudden, I can't say I heard his voice. I would say it now, but there was a peace. Every time I started to pray about not staying in Canada, the only problem was I was afraid to fly. So I, and I, at that time, I'd said to the Lord, anywhere as long as I can go by car or boat or train. All right? And so I was afraid to fly. But one thing led to another. Finally, after praying and being in the dark for a while and pushing against certain doors, because I applied to ministry, no doors opened up, applied to do a postdoctoral research fellowship, at Cornell, that seemed like it was a good thing. Cornell was where I discovered the reality of the spiritual world and demons. And I went for a visit for one night, and that would convince me that was not the place to be. And almost immediately after that, the doors opened to Imperial College London. And that's where I spent two years before moving to the Netherlands. So you don't have to be a professional prophet, all right? to start to seek God for his will, but it's imperative in this new season that every single one of us is able to hear the voice of God. I have heard this afternoon, and I think it is extremely timely that a new course is being developed on hearing God's voice. That cannot get here soon enough, okay? Cannot get here soon enough because we need to know whether you're a student or whether you're a bit older like me, you need to know, we all need to know, God, what is my role in what you are doing now? Everybody with me? Nobody's sleeping so far. Some look like they're about to, but uh, I'll just prophesy over if you look like you're sleeping, all right? Last thing, what is God doing now? Why is it so imperative? The word he gave me made me tremendously uncomfortable, and it had a very grand title. It is the age, the era of the nations and of epic battles that are going to go down in the history of the planet. It's the age of the culture wars. 
It's the age of the culture wars. It's the age of the nations. What am I talking about there? This totally defies my complete background. This was not taught to me at any time in my growing up years. I said to my husband the other day that this August, it will be 50 years since I asked Christ into my heart. 50. That doesn't always say a lot, but the fact that I've never been taught this is saying something to me right now. So I'm going to let you in on it. He led me to Revelation 21. Verse 4. Or sorry. Um, sorry, verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And I started to look around and say, Lord, this is for when you return. Am I going to assume that's coming in the next 10 years? I don't know. But he said, write it down. But it's a new, what everybody is reporting across the different continents, there's a new level of the presence of the Lord. There's a new level of the presence of the Lord. There's something going on. And then if we look at verses 24 and 25 of Revelation 21, it's about the New Jerusalem, but it's interesting. Um, sorry, verse 26. All the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. I never grew up with cultural transformation. I've worked for missions organizations. You know what? It's not either or, it's both and. So go out onto the street, do evangelism. I'm so thankful for the evangelists that God has placed in our church. I'm so incredibly thankful. But there is something about cultural transformation. God is saying the nations are his. They belong to him. The nations are mine, God says. And so the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. What is the glory and honor? This is a, when Christ returns. But what is the glory and honor of the nations? That is the best that their culture has to offer. That's the best in innovation. That's the best in art. That's the best in performance. This body and this city is going to send out people into every sphere of influence. And you're going to be leading in those spheres. Why? Because if you ask the Lord, he will give you ideas. If you ask the Lord, he will give you compositions. If you ask the Lord, he will give you new ways to do management, new ideas for your business. Why? Because even cultural, societal transformation will also be there when Jesus comes back. And why? Because he's worthy of nations. That's what he's doing. And so that seems really big, but for each one of us, the challenge is, Lord, what's my role in it? In Jesus' name. You can go all to ten, seven, so not ten, seven. So we've got ten minutes. Is that all right? Okay. Just going to, everyone's going to be prayed for, but not necessarily by me. Last five minutes, we're going to pray for each other. <laughs>